Welcome to the Nothing Is Wasted podcast, conversations designed to help you as you live, learn, and lead through pain. And now the host of the Nothing Is Wasted podcast, Davey Blackburn. Hello and welcome to the Nothing Is Wasted podcast. My name is Davey. I'm your host and joining me, Mel, our co-host. Mel, it's great to see you. Good to see you too, Davey. Mel, I wanted to just start out today because we have gotten some fantastic feedback from some folks on the rating and reviewing on iTunes. And we just absolutely love hearing these things. I love hearing back from you guys and Omel, all of our team. We share these together and we're it's like, man. It's so encouraging to hear. It's so encouraging. Sometimes we wonder that, right? Sometimes we're like, are we really making a difference? Is this helping people? And I need you guys to know that when you write these things in or you share your story, you rate and review, it truly means the world. It keeps us going. It kind of keeps the the fire burning inside of us to say, no, this is truly helping people. And um, and we're going to continue this mission to help people heal and, and go through their, their trial in, in a way that is honoring to God and, mm-hmm. and a way that um, helps them to thrive and not just survive in this. And so we wanted to just read some some reviews that some of you guys have, have written to encourage you guys to go and, and write some more if you guys haven't rated and reviewed the podcast yet. Yeah, yeah. So this is from a listener and she said, this has easily become my favorite podcast to listen to. Every Monday, I drive about 45 minutes one way to pick up groceries and I listen to this on the way there and on the way home. Sometimes it's probably not the safest because I am just crying my eyes out over some of the stories and the goodness of God. (laughs) Oh man, I'm not sure what to think about that. Hopefully this isn't putting you in danger, but man, that's wow. How encouraging is that? I feel like I can actually really resonate with her. Like if you have not listened to Nothing Is Wasted podcast and had a good ugly cry, then you need to keep listening. (laughs) That's true. That's true. And we shy away from the ugly cry, but the ugly cry is actually really good for our soul. That's for sure. therapeutic. (laughs) I know. I know. Some of these stories though, to be honest with you, Mel, I'm like, I'm shocked. I'm like, holy cow. These people that we're interviewing just have such tremendous faith in the midst of their trial. It's unbelievable. We had one person write in and the title of the review is Honest and Uplifting. I'm a firm believer that faith is like a tree. The stronger and deeper your roots are, the better you'll be able to withstand a storm. We all go through these trials in our lives, never knowing when they're coming and having a firm foundation in faith is so important. Davey and all of his guests tell such powerful stories and give such hope and inspiration and how they have gone through unimaginable trials. God has done and is continuing to do incredible things through Davey and his family. And now Davey is giving others the opportunity to share their stories as well. And I think Mm. the reason this was so meaningful to me is that people are recognizing what really is in our own hearts. Is, and that is that we don't want this to be, and I've said this before, but I just need to say that we don't want this to be the story of the Blackburns. Um, sure, maybe that was the impetus behind starting the Nothing Is Wasted podcast. But at the end of the day, what I love about this podcast is we are sharing and giving life to so many people's stories. Mm-hmm. And it's all of you guys who are walking through trial and you're holding your head up high, you're keeping your eyes on Jesus, and you're watching him move and work and heal in powerful ways in your life that inspire us. And so we're grateful for you guys and the the guests that we have on because, um, man, I'm borrowing faith from all of y'all. It's so great. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, we had somebody else write in. Uh, this is called The Healing Process. 
Uh, They said, hearing stories of others and finding success and comfort through our Lord is so healing for me. I can't thank Davy and Christy enough for being so open and loving, not just towards me, but anyone who seeks healing and God's unconditional love. And I, I love that because I'm sure that it takes a little bit of faith and courage for you and Christy to be so open and so vulnerable with your lives and where you've been and where the Lord is leading you. But um, I feel like it's so great that people are seeing your heart that you guys just want to keep pointing people to Jesus Mm. and sharing, um, like they said, his unconditional love. Yeah. Well, the, this, these things mean a lot to us. We thank you guys so much. So make sure that you go and rate and review if this podcast has had an impact in you. We'd love to, to read your reviews and um, we'd love to just hear your feedback on that. You can also write in at hello at nothingiswasted.com. Share your story with us. Um, we're beginning to share stories on other platforms, not just the podcast, but also Instagram and on the blog and the website. We've got an overhaul of a website coming out soon, Mel. It looks <laughs> amazing. Oh my gosh, it looks so good. We've been working with some web developers and some branding folks. And man, I'm so excited about what's coming out. She's going to be a beaut. Yes, she is. It's going to be awesome. And uh, so share your story with us because even if it's not something that's on the podcast, I'm sure our Nothing Is Wasted community, all of you guys would like to read these stories. Make sure you go subscribe to our email list because, Mel, let me tell you what we're doing. We said this last week, but I want to remind you guys, we are giving away the ebook Thriving in Trial if you go and subscribe. Say what? We're giving it away. We're giving it away. Now, at the end of the day, it was only four ninety nine, anyways. So you could have bought it. But I think this is going to be a good resource for you. I think you're going to enjoy reading this. I would love to be able to put this in your hands. So go subscribe to our email list, nothingiswasted.com. And uh, go follow us on Instagram. And uh, you'll be able to be a part of all the fun things that we are putting out there right now. Yep. Nothing is wasted. Yeah, you are going to see behind the scenes stories people on our team. You're going to mm-hmm. hear updates from the Blackburns. You're going to, you can be a part of our book giveaways that we do. So you don't want to miss out on all that. It's awesome. Um, yeah. So Davey, tell me a little bit about who we have on the show today. Today is a guy named Caleb Kaltenbach. Now, Caleb and I have just gotten kind of connected over the past couple months. And, um, we were just following of what, what each other were doing. We're kind of in the same space of doing some itinerant type ministry that comes alongside okay. to help the local church. And so had several friends who were like, hey, you need to reach out to this guy, Caleb Kaltenbach, and kind of ask him how he's done this. He was a pastor and stepped away from a church, very similar to our story, to go and minister to the Big C Church and come alongside the churches. In talking about a conversation that is a very tense conversation, and he does it mm. with such grace, and he does it. Um, I mean, it's he is the only person I know that could really have the conversation the way that he does. But he he talks about in this interview how how to bridge the relationships between the church and the LGBTQ community. Mm. This is a tough topic. This is one that oftentimes we shy away from and stay away from in church rhetoric. And what I love about the Nothing Is Wasted podcast is that um, we really try to lean into some of these conversations uh, because we believe Jesus would have leaned into these conversations. Yeah, you're right. And Caleb does a phenomenal job of sharing some of those things with us. And, And again, his story 
uh, is just incredible. And so you're, you're not going, you're probably going to want to listen to this one a couple of times. Davey, I've really been anticipating this interview, so I cannot wait to hear what Caleb has to say. Let's listen in. Caleb, thanks for joining me on the podcast. Good to have you. Man, thanks for having me. It's great to be here. Yeah. Um, you know, you have a fascinating story, and um, I've just, I've, I've enjoyed following the journey that you've been on over the past maybe year or so. I think maybe it was a year that that I first got at least uh, exposure to what's going on in your life. Um, and then I just got to listen. You're in town. You're, you spoke at a church here in town. Just got to listen to this message you preached. Incredible message at Traders Point Church. Um, but it, before we dive into your story, would you just tell us a little bit about who is Caleb Kaltenbach? I've, I've been working on that. Kaltenbach. You, you were perfect. I nailed it. it. You, you, thank you so much. You nailed it. <laughs> I know you're not a telemarketer now. So, who, 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 what's your family like? Where do you guys live? What do you do? What's your life like right yeah, now? Yeah. So, um, uh, many people say I either look like Zach Efron or, Dr. Evil, one of the two. I can see the I can see the Zach Efron. That's, yeah, yeah. Well, I there. used to look like that before I had kids. <laughs> but um, no, I uh, I live outside of Los Angeles in a suburb called Simi Valley, California. It's just right next to the border of L.A. And it, Simi Valley is known usually for two things. One, uh, Francis Chan used to be there, his church. Yep. <laughs> or two, the Ronald Reagan Presidential Library is there. So usually okay. people know, and a lot of people who uh, live or work in the San Fernando Valley actually mm-hmm. live in Simi Valley. So, okay. yeah. So I'm, my wife is uh, Amy. She's a Christian counselor, um, getting her uh, license right now, licensure, and working as a counselor. And she's a beautiful Latina, um, goes to the gym all the time, which I'm going to start doing on Wednesday. <laughs> Change my like eating just habits. on Wednesdays, or you're starting no, I'm this starting coming on Wednesday. Wednesday. I'm right. starting on Wednesday, eating habits and going to the gym, and we'll see how long that lasts. Anyway, <laughs> we have two kids. We have a 12 year old son named Joel, and 10 year old daughter named Rachel. And uh, yeah, so I I've spent a lot of uh, my life as a pastor in the church. Um, you know, I was a associate pastor for 11 years at a large church in LA called Shepherd Church. Mm. And then uh, went and was the senior pastor in Dallas, Texas, and was a senior pastor in Simi Valley. And now I have uh, a ministry that started my own organization called the Messy Grace Group. And pretty much what I do is I travel and I help churches and schools and ministry organizations leverage grace and truth to create belonging when it comes to uh, helping uh, people in some way, shape, or form who identifies LGBTQ to belong to the church mm. without the church or the organization compromising their theological convictions or their values. So uh, it's like, how do we how do we create and offer belonging mm-hmm. uh, to people? Because I think people find and follow Jesus much better in the midst of community than isolation. Yeah, and yeah. so that that's basically what I do. Yeah, man. It, well, it's a conversation that needs to be had in the church. Um, it's one that the church doesn't step into very well yeah. at all, or hasn't historically. And um, so I, I really appreciate the way in which you're stepping into this conversation, and, and it's been inspired by much of your story. Yeah. Um, I'd love to dive into that. Uh, what, what is it exactly 
that got you into wanting to have this kind of a conversation with and be a bridge between the LGBT community and the church? Well, it's interesting because I didn't want to be at first, mm. you know, but I wrote a book called Messy Grace. And this book is based off of my story. And it basically begins when I was two years old. My parents were both professors at uh, schools and colleges in the local Columbia, Missouri area, like uh, University of Missouri, Columbia, Stevens College, that kind of thing. Uh, when I was two, they divorced, and they both went into same-sex relationships. My dad was in several different relationships. Uh, my mom, on the other hand, uh, she was in a 22-year monogamous relationship with a psychologist named Vera. They moved to Kansas City, which is why I'm a Chiefs fan. <laughs> You're saying that in, in, in Colts country right now. No, so. I know, but you got to admit, our, our quarterback is awesome. Mahomes. <laughs> it's true. It's true. Yeah, it's yeah, true. It's great. <laughs> um, which he's a Christian. Yeah. I found that out. I, That's I didn't right know here. that. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. But um, my mother and her partner, Vera, uh, they were both activists. They joined the local board of directors for GLAAD in Kansas City. They took me with them uh, to pride parades and campouts and parties and bars and clubs. And my whole childhood, I was raised in the LGBTQ community. That was kind of my reality. I mean, for me, I thought to myself, doesn't everybody have three gay parents? Mm. I mean, that's just... I was raised. Yeah, yeah. You know, um, I remember, so I grew up in Alabama, and uh, I remember my first exposure to LGBT community was one of my good friends in school. Um, he pulled me into the bathroom, and he said, hey, my, my mom is a lesbian. And this was a kid that went to church with me, and it was, I, I didn't know how to respond. It was like, first of all, it was, you know, maybe second or third grade, I was trying to figure out what, the construct for that. I didn't really understand what that was or what that meant, but I'm a, I'm a pastor's kid and had zero construct for it whatsoever. The conversation wasn't being had other than, you know, it's wrong and, and absolutely not allowing at all and completely ostracizing that community from the church. Um, and here you are, you find yourself, you know, uh, on, on, I guess the other side of the conversation as you're growing up, yeah. um, you weren't a, a believer at the time. You weren't going to church. Um, no, it... my, my dad, every now and then we'd go to an Episcopal church. Okay. Um, when he would feel guilty or something like that. Yeah. Um, but, and I, and I'm not saying this as a broad sweeping statement about all Episcopal churches, but this particular one, they never really talked about Jesus. It was always about social issues, so on mm -hmm. and so forth, which are all important, but they gain even more importance when you pair Jesus with them and you talk about how Jesus cares about people. But we never really talked about that. And my mom and her partner, they tried everything from, they went to a Methodist church for a while, and then they tried Buddhism, then they're going to a Quaker uh, friend society where the service was sitting in a room in silence for an hour, which right. try being in middle school and making it through that for an hour. <laughs> and you're like, I mean, you remember back in the day, we didn't have game, like nothing. We didn't have phones or anything. No. no. Now you, it was like being a prisoner. Oh yeah. Well, in my dad's church, we had this like thing that you just filled out. And um, I remember seeing it one time that, you know, there's like this little worship guide for kids. I remember visiting a Presbyterian church. They had one called the Presbyterian Piddler. Like, I don't even know what that means, but Piddler? Just, Piddler. 
Wow. I don't I have no I've never even heard that term before, but I wow. guess it was this little thing to keep kids crossword puzzles and stuff to keep keep them entertained. Otherwise, you'd get the smack from your mom in the back of your head, you know? Yeah. Or the elbow to the side. Um and so yeah, I mean, you're you're experiencing this like bouncing around to different churches, but you know, as uh, you know, your family, your mom who is um you know, in a relationship, a same-sex relationship, your dad who is in same-sex relationships, what was it like to step from church to church to church to church? How did the church receive that? What were you, what was your experience like? Well, the churches that my mother and her partner to, would go to were great with it. The church my dad would go to would be fine with it, except he never really told anybody. He was very mm-hmm. much in the closet. Um, and then my mom got into Wicca for a while. Okay. And that was terrifying. Mm. I still remember seeing things when I was mm. a kid uh, from Ouija boards and stuff like that. So when some people try to say, well, that's not, that's not true, yeah. none of that stuff. No, there are very, very real spiritual elements yeah. uh, behind that. So, yeah, do you feel comfortable talking about some of that? What, no, yeah. yeah, yeah tell, me, tell me what were some of the things you experienced? What were some of the things you saw? I remember seeing them do a seance one time. And I remember one of my mom's friends, uh, I don't think she's listening, I'll just call her my mom's friend. Mm. She ended up um, uh, in the midst of the seance, they're just kind of silent. And they were trying to contact uh, the, the uncle of one of the Wicca coven members who had been mysteriously killed. Nobody mm. knew really what happened. And so... It was just kind of silent. I thought they were just kind of like praying or doing one of those Quaker things. <laughs> um, but then, like one of them, just the one that supposedly had the deeper spiritual connection, just started laughing. And it wasn't a regular laugh. It was, uh, it was creepy. It was sinister. And I remember the, or at that time I had hair. The hair was standing on the back of my neck. And I remember just thinking, there's something not right and her laughter got louder and louder mm. and louder. And then all of a sudden they, they broke hands and whatever was going on was broken. They turned on the light and this lady kind of stopped laughing. And I mean, her whole facial expression was different. Yeah. And, you know, my mom and other people were asking her, are you okay? What, what was that? And she didn't have any memory. And then of what happened, she didn't know. Mm. And she eventually said, you know what? We can't do that again. Not like this. We don't know who could come in. That scared me. I remember when I got older, after I became a Christian, I burned. How how old were you at that time? Oh, Mm -hmm. I was in elementary school. Okay. Like upper elementary school, maybe uh, seventh grade even. Like back then, that's when junior high started. Anyways, as you got older, you were As I got older, after I became a Christian, I burned my mom's Ouija board. And Mm -hmm. I remember when I burned it, the smoke spiraled up. Like this, it didn't burn like all the smoke right, going everywhere. Right. Spiraled into almost like a, a tower type thing. Um, wow, that was that was that was really weird as yeah. well. So, so at the time, because you you know most of your most of your childhood you weren't a, you know, a believer, right? So at the time you didn't really have a construct for. Sounds like the churches that you were your parents attended, they were somewhat accepting of it. You didn't have a construct necessarily for this like Christianity versus gay community at all. Or did you, or what was that? Was there anything that was kind of like subtly, you know, there was any indoctrinization 
on either side of things in, in your heart or what? Not not within the context of those organizations or churches yeah. or ministries or whatever you want to call them, but there was indoctrination from my mother and her partner, and they would ask me a lot, are you are you gay? And I'm like, no. And they said, well, if you are, you know, feel free to let us know. And I'm like, okay. And my mom would ask me that a lot. I think she was secretly hoping that I was, mm. um, but... I'm, I, I never, I've never had those feelings. Mm-hmm. So, you know, wouldn't be ashamed if I, you know, did. I'm just saying that I never have. Yeah. And I remember real indoctrination came one time when I was marching with my mom and her partner in a pride parade in this area of Kansas City called Westport. And we were marching in it. And at the end of the parade, there were all these quote unquote Christians holding up signs saying, God hates you, mm. turn or burn, no room. And when people from my mom's parade would go try to talk to them, these so-called Christians would spray them with water and urine. Jeez. And I was horrified. I didn't know what to think. And so I asked my mom, I said, what is going on? What, what is, I mean, yeah. why are they doing this? And she looked at me, and I won't forget what she said. She said, Caleb, they're Christians. Christians hate gay people. If you wow. are not like them, they will not like you. And I saw this proved in uh, how my mom and her partner were treated. I saw this in her friends who were beaten up or bashed for being in same-sex relationships. I saw some of my mom's young friends, like a guy named Lewis, who uh, had the HIV virus that turned into AIDS, and he was dying. We went to go visit him. His family was in the hospital with him, and they had their big old Bibles out, and they were reading them, but they wanted nothing to do with him. They didn't want to talk to him. They wouldn't touch him. They wouldn't yeah. do anything for him. They were just there. And to me, I thought to myself, I never want to be a Christian because if Christians are this bad, I can't imagine how awful Jesus must be. Oh, gosh. Wow. That was my impression growing up that Jesus is, if, if Christians act like this, especially these right. uh, ultra-conservative Christians, Jesus must be worse. Wow. So there's no need to follow him ever. Wow. So that's, that was my mindset. So your life took a very unlikely path based on the foundation that it was built upon. Oh, huge. Yeah, I was 16. I was in, uh, I was sophomore. Like I said, uh, I had, I had like hair back then. It was like down (laughs) here. I'd sneak out at night and go get drunk and that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And I got invited by a friend of my high school uh, who was in, high school as well. He was a sophomore as well. He invited me to go to his Bible study that he led in his house for high schoolers. And I thought, this is going to be perfect. I'm going to go and I'm going to be a pretend Christian. And I'm going to try to disprove Christianity. And I didn't own a Bible, so I grabbed like my dad's old revised whatever Bible. I can't even remember <laughs> what. And you got to understand, at the age of 16, I had never set foot in a conservative evangelical Christian household before, much less even a, a Catholic household or even a more of a progressive Christian household. Yeah. So I walked in, and it looked like these people had literally dropped a Bible bookstore in the middle <laughs> of their house. And look, I know some of the listeners out there, if that is your house, more power to you, okay? <laughs> I'm not criticizing. I'm just saying, for somebody who was unchurched and an unbeliever, I was just like, what is this? Like, I walked in, and they had the potpourri smell, <laughs> you know, that like Bible bookstores have oh, sometimes. Yeah. Oh, they yeah. had... They had Christian breath mints. Did you know we have our own breath mints? <laughs> I guess. I guess Jesus died for breath mints. Yeah, they too. were called yeah. testaments. <laughs> I mean, it was 
It was. Oh it was, and they tasted horrible. And then they had all the Christian decor on the wall. Jeez. And I'm like, why do these people have framed pictures of lions and sheep with Bible <laughs> verses? Like, I had never seen somebody have a framed picture of an animal <laughs> they didn't own hanging in their wall. And I was like, they're like, oh, we're downstairs. And I'm thinking, we're going to sacrifice a chicken or something. Like, I didn't. And so we get downstairs. And I was so embarrassed because everybody's doing one of these things where they're all reading from a chapter in 1 Corinthians. So everybody has a verse. You know one of those deals. And even to this day, I can't stand that. Anytime I've done a small group, we never do that. Um, But everybody's reading. And I could, for some reason, I couldn't find 1 Corinthians. So I parked in 1 Chronicles. (laughs) Said it's got to be similar. It's close. I read a verse about some dude getting impaled. You know, which is not in First Corinthians. And they said, Where are you? And I said, Well, I'm I'm in First Chronicles. They said, You're in the Old Testament. And I'm like, Is there a new There's, one? Like are updated these like the 2.0. Testament, like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're, we're not doing that again. Oh, we're not no, getting okay, another yeah, breath, man. Okay. Yeah, no, no, no. Yeah. Um, but I, I kept on going uh, back because I wanted to prove them wrong, except here's the deal, Davey. And this is a good thing, it's also a challenge. For, for everybody. I realized that Jesus was not like his followers. Mm. He's not like the people on the street corners, or dare I say today, he's not like the trolls on social media. Mm. Right? Oh, yeah, you can say that. Yeah, exactly. You can say that all you want to. <laughs> yeah, there you go. He's not like that. Wow. I saw somebody who had very deep biblical beliefs, mm. somebody who had very real expectations for how we should live our lives, but I also saw someone that had authentic, real, personal relationships. Mm with people who are nothing like him. And I love what Andy Stanley says, Mm -hmm. that Jesus liked people who are nothing like him and they liked him back. Yeah. And like, Christians are weird. Yeah. Um, And I'm weird and I'm a Christian, but I still don't have a sheep picture. (laughs) And so that was kind of the pivotal turning point. I'm like looking around my library right now where we're, I'm like, okay, No, you got a lion lion right there. You don't even have a Bible verse. But no Bible verse. Yeah, but it's also in your office. And I usually don't creep around people's houses when <laughs> I'm not familiar with them. So it's, you're, you're good. You're good. We're good. We're good. Yeah. Man. So here you are in this Bible study and you're, you're getting introduced to the person of Jesus. Uh, whereas you've just been exposed to for all of your life, quote unquote followers of Jesus. Yeah. How did this change your life? People when, treated me well. Hmm. Um, I think we really underestimate sometimes or most of the time, how much the way we treat people will either encourage or or undermine somebody's view of God. Mm. That our words, our actions, how we carry ourselves, how we uh, decide to develop our character and integrity, um, that that matters. Yeah, you know, um, especially after the last what fourteen, fifteen months, right? Yeah, I mean, right. You know exactly what I'm talking right. about. We don't even have to name names, but yep. not in Hollywood only, but also in, in the Christian world. Mm. It's been rough. Mm-hmm. And um, how you treat people matters. Mm. Character matters. Faith matters. All of that. Um, and it's, ama- it's amazing. It was through the actions and the treatment and these people inviting me in, giving me a place mm. That I was able to experience belonging, and that made it easier for me to believe in Jesus. Wow. So, they, I mean, you know, they weren't shoving anything down your throat. They no. weren't no. trying to convert you. They weren't no. like, oh, this poor guy who's got 
two moms. We need to do something for no, them. No, I didn't even tell them I had two moms Man. at that point. Yeah. But I was like, dude, you know, um, yeah, you don't do that. Yeah. You know, so it's like, you know, if you get stuck in North Korea, you don't say I'm South Korean. <laughs> you know, it, true. it's like, it's like, That's good true. night. Wow. You know, I mean, wow. So here they are. They receive you in. Um, they show you what Jesus is supposed to look like. Do you, mm-hmm. uh, what, what happened from there? Did you have, I mean, what was it like? What was your, what was your salvation experience like? Or what was well, the... I, I started kind of like believing in Jesus, but I'm like, I'm going to resist this. Yeah. Homeboy is not getting in here yet. We're going to, I, I felt like I had to study what the Bible had to say about intimacy and sex mm. and relationships and marriage. And I'm yeah, still studying that. Yeah. But I came to two conclusions. And the first is that God designed sexual intimacy to be expressed in marriage between a man and a woman. And anything outside of that, uh, that expression is not his intended design for sexual intimacy and the way he wants it expressed. But I also came to this conclusion that a theological conviction should never be a catalyst to treat someone less. Wow. That our biblical beliefs should never lead us to devalue another human being. Wow. Um, If anything... Our differences with people should drive us to them, not yeah. from them. Yeah. Um, and I realized real quick that there is a there is a tension that you have to live in between grace and truth. Mm. Um, people talk about balancing grace and truth. You can't balance them. Yeah. There's a tension, and yeah. I tell people all the time: if you don't like tension, you know, Christianity is not something you really want to get involved in because yeah. we got tension all over. We we believe in one God, but the Trinity. <laughs> God inspired the Bible, used people. Jesus is fully God, fully human. God's in control. We have free will. I mean, keep on going down right. the, the list. Right. And it's like, for a long time, I wondered, why Why do we have so much trouble with the tension of grace and truth? And like, I, I've never stayed up all night worrying about the inspiration of Scripture and thinking, oh my gosh, I don't mm. know. I read Leviticus and it's weird. (laughs) I mean, I've never stayed up all night doing that, but I have stayed up all night worrying about people and relationships. Yeah. Um, I remember when, what happened to you happened to you, Mm. you know, I think we had met once briefly. Mm. I don't know if you remember that. You probably don't. And you probably went to a lot of conferences, that kind of thing. But when I heard about what happened to you, like first night, I couldn't sleep. I stayed up a good portion of the night praying Wow, uh, for you and for your family. Um, and I'm not saying that for, you know, accolades or anything, because uh, trust me, I'll give you many reasons why I'm a moron. <laughs> but my whole point with that is, is that I think we have such trouble with attention to grace and truth because grace and truth always has to do with relationships yeah. and it has emotional attachment. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think emotional attachment clouds clarity. Mm. And so I think... I really had to think through that before I accepted Jesus. And it's something that I still struggle with. I think everybody does, don't right. you? Oh, well, absolutely. Um, especially when you start thinking about, like, you know, if you're, if you're going to make this decision to fully accept Jesus and accept his teaching and accept this, like, this lifestyle of following after him, then now you've found yourself, you, Caleb, have found yourself at odds with everything that you learned growing up. Mm-hmm. You found yourself back in this situation where you're having to now kind of conf- confront some things, not necessarily not confront your, your mom or your dad, but confront some ideologies. Yes. And, and most, most importantly, confront some relational 
tensions that could possibly be there. It was going to cost a lot. That would that could have a lot of cost. Yeah. Um, did you find that as you were wrestling through that decision, made that decision to follow Jesus, and then you're stepping back into uh, those relationships, did you find cost? Was there was, oh, was that? There, yeah, there's Tell always me more cost. about that. I think everyone who follows Jesus has to sacrifice many things mm. to some degree, depending on their context, their life, that kind of thing. Uh, for me, um, if you can imagine how a same-sex attracted or a teenager or a student who identifies in some ways LGBTQ feels coming out to their conservative Christian parents, I was a 16-year-old coming out as a Christian who wanted to be a pastor to my three gay parents. Mm. And their response was to kick me out. Wow. Their response was, you know, hey, we, we're going to, I, I think that they did that because of fear. We're going to reject you because we're afraid of you rejecting us. So we're going to be the ones to reject you first. Yeah. And it's so amazing because people, uh, when I tell this story, they're just blown away because they just thought, no, it's, it's ultra fundamentalist Christian parents. They're the only ones who do that. No, it's Christian. It's, it's Christians too. It's LGBTQ people. It's yeah. everyone. Yeah. Uh, you know, I said this weekend at the church that fear is a constant companion in life. It's not mm. a bad thing. If you see a rattlesnake in the trail, you should be afraid. <laughs> Don't touch it, you know? Right. I am, I am petrified, like terrified, absolutely terrified of peacocks. <laughs> like, Do you encounter a lot of peacocks? When I was a kid, I had one chase <laughs> me around. And so like, if there was one... Traumatic experience? Oh, my gosh. If there was one that walked in this room... If I wasn't already passed out, I would run and let you and others in this house fend for themselves um, or jump out the window here. I'm terrified. Because That's amazing. Think about it, when somebody allows fear to lead their life, they become crazy. Yeah, that's right. Um, you know, uh, Agatha Christie, my favorite author, she said, fear is incomplete knowledge. Mm. And so I think we naturally fear what we don't understand or what we can't control. Yep. yep. Uh, whether that's a person, a people group, um, whatever that is. Um, and so when we come into something that we fear, if we let it lead us, then we usually run, we become indifferent, we try to control, we start to try to stabilize our toxic emotions yeah. in unhealthy ways. Um, and eventually that winds up in hurting other people. Mm -hmm. Like Yoda says, and Star Wars, he says, fear is a path to the dark side. Yeah. Fear leads to anger. Anger leads to hate. Hate leads to suffering. Wow. Fear will give us permission to unintentionally and intentionally do horrible things to people. And then we will justify it. Yeah. So that we won't feel guilty. And usually we'll throw God under the bus. Oh. You know, as you're sitting here talking about this, it's like, it's striking a chord with me because um, even before you came over here, Caleb... And this is, this is, so what I believe about fear is that if you vocalize the fear, right? If you say, if you admit it, hey, this makes me afraid because X, Y, and Z, right? All of a sudden it, it steals, it robs the power of that fear. Um, it exposes it to light. And so it doesn't have any power anymore. So in the spirit of that, before you came over here, I'm like, I'm a little bit afraid to do this interview because it's on a topic that is such a hot button issue in our world today. Um, it's similar to when we, we did an interview with Miles McPherson, The Rock mm -hmm. in San Diego, talked to him about the third option 
several episodes back and talking about this idea of, you know, racism in our culture today. These are two major hot button issues that it's like, wait, do we even, do I want to have this conversation on the nothing is wasted podcast? Do I want to step into this? And so even like, as you're, as I'm waiting for you to come, I'm like, man, I'm a little bit nervous about this. I'm not sure how to have this conversation, but I think that if we just say that, we just go, Hey, listen, I don't know how to have this conversation. I'm not sure what this looks like, but the problem is in the church, we don't admit that. And right. so what we do is we allow fear to then cause yeah, callousness and uh, marginalizing. And, you know, if I can't, I, if I don't understand it, like what you said, I'm afraid of it. And so now I'm not even going to like try to bridge these gaps because I just don't understand it. Absolutely. I think uh, one of my favorite books is probably one that you've read. And I don't know if some of your listeners have or not, but if they haven't, they need to. And hopefully that's okay for me to say that, but it's uh, <laughs> yeah, absolutely <laughs> leadership pain yes, by Samuel Chan. So good, so good. It is so good. And yep. what he says is, um, you, you will only grow in your leadership level and in, in who you are. You will only grow to the level of pain that you can tolerate. Yeah, right. And the only way you can increase that lid is to face your pain. Wow. So I think just like we face pain, that's we why. Have to by face the way, fear. we have that lion, the lion right there, that running toward the roar. Facing your pain. That's what that means. Run yeah. toward the roar. Face your pain. Yeah. Um, we got that from Levi Lusko's book, um, mm-hmm. you know, Through the Eyes of a Lion. And he Fantastic. talks about that you run toward the thing that makes you afraid. Absolutely. And I think that um, you probably you probably know this person, and just in case your listeners don't, uh, one of my other favorite books is a book by Viktor Frankl. Mm-hmm. Um, man's yep. search of meaning. Oh man, or for meaning, it's like a thin book, but it's so deep. Yep, it's like mere Christianity or something. Yeah, like you think, oh, let's be a quick read. No, you're having to read <laughs> things like two or three times yeah. because it's so deep. But you know, Frankel was in a concentration camp and right. saw his family die, and really dedicated his life to the understanding of suffering. Mm. And he says uh, the suffering ceases to be suffering when we find meaning for it or when we find purpose attached yeah. to it. But yeah. one of my favorite quotes, a couple of them, he says that whatever must give light must endure burning. The other thing wow. that he says is that uh, we, we can lose all of our freedoms, but one freedom that no one can ever take away from us is the ability to choose how we respond to our mm-hmm. circumstances. Yep. Um, wow. And I think that when it comes to fear... It's, it goes with what you just said. Facing it is my demonstration that I will not run from it. I will face it head on. Yeah. And I know that God is with me. It's kind of like that scene in The Lion King when Simba thinks that the hyenas are going to kill him and he roars and they all look afraid yeah. and they run. And he's thinking, man, I'm pretty cool. And he looks and there's Mufasa. Mm-hmm. And I think that when we face our fear, God is right there behind us. Yeah. 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 And I think the first step to, to facing that fear, you know, for, when it comes to the church is stepping into those situations and those conversations with someone from the other side. That make you feel uncomfortable. Yeah. Because it's then that you're able to really harness the power of empathy. Right. Wow. Um, you know, Brene Brown. Uh, wow. We're just going on an author yeah, list here. Let's go. Come on. There we go. Bring the quotes out. Let's go. Um, she says that <laughs> empathy is to feel with another person. And then Reggie Joyner at Orange says, empathy is the ability to put your own thoughts and feelings on pause 
to think and feel with another person. Mm. Empathy is not the agreement that you have with someone. It's not the rejection of something. It is the acknowledgement of reality. Mm. It's walking with the person. It's what yeah. Jesus says. If somebody forces you to go one mile, go with them two. Yeah. Commenting on that verse, Reggie says that mile one is about obligation. Mile two is about the relationship. Wow. And so empathy is feeling with another person. You may not agree with something they've done. Um, I, I have a friend that recently had an affair, and it cost him a lot. Mm. And I do not agree with the fact that he had an affair. I don't. Um, I think he and his wife are still going to make it, but it still cost him a lot. Mm -hmm. Now, he knows I don't agree with him with what he did. I don't think he would agree with what he did either, but you know what empathy is? Empathy is like, man, that must be really, really difficult what you're going through. Mm -hmm. I cannot imagine, but I'm here with you. I'm, I'm not going to leave your side. I believe in you. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to, I'm walking with you. I'm not going away. That's empathy. That's what Jesus does, right? Wow. Because Jesus came from heaven to earth to live a life with people where we messed up the relationship, right. but he chose to look like us, to be with us, to live with us, to die for us, rise for us, to sin for us, send the Holy Spirit for us, and he'll be back for us. I mean, God's the ultimate empathizer. Yeah. That's that's such an interesting topic, this idea of like, how do you love someone and still disagree with that person? And I mm -hmm. think that is one of the core issues here when it comes to the separation or the divide between the church and the LGBT community, yeah. it's, you know, how in the world do we, cause here's our fear. I think Andy Stanley said this maybe in a uh, deep and wide, but our fear is we mistake acceptance and approval. Mm -hmm. And so we fear as a church that if we accept people who maybe aren't living by what we say the standards are, what the Bible says the standards are, or whatever, any variation thereof, then what we're what we're actually telling them is that we approve of their behavior, right? And right. that's not how Jesus operated no. at all. I mean, no. he hung out with tax collectors, which he didn't approve of their behavior, right? He hung out with drunkards and sinners and prostitutes. He was called a drunkard and a glutton mm -hmm. because he was associating with them so much. He accepted them. You know, he didn't have a home, but accepted them into the homes that he was in, and he went over to their houses and stuff too. And so why, from your perspective, why is this such a difficult issue for us as a church? We see clearly this man that we're following, Jesus, our Savior, right? Our model, he does this so well. Why is it so difficult for us, aside from the fact that we're human, okay, aside from that, why is it so difficult for us to actually be his disciples in doing this really well? I think a few different reasons. Um, I think, number one, it's difficult for us because we have, we feel like when we find out something that somebody's doing that goes against our values that we don't agree with, we're like, okay, in our mind, for some reason, we're like, okay, I need to figure out how quickly I can tell them what they're doing is wrong. Mm. That's what Jesus does and everything. And <laughs> it's kind of like, no, well, first of all, you're not Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> uh, never will be, thankfully. Second of all, um, you really, your words gain more weight when you have influence with someone. Mm -hmm. and the way you build influence is through investment. Mm. That's how you do it. And you can only do that if you believe that your agreement or disagreement with somebody doesn't matter because real love is based on acceptance, not agreement. Cheap yeah. love is based on agreement. Right. And so 
for me, when I think about this, I think to myself, okay, I love someone. I may not agree with them, but a person's relationship, a person's political views, a person's mm -hmm. drug habits, whatever, that may have consequences mm -hmm. one way or another, but in no way, shape, or form does it impugn their value, their intrinsic value mm -hmm. as a human being, because everyone is someone that Jesus died for and God created. Yeah. And when we mistreat someone, we are spitting on God's image and misappropriating the blood of Christ. And Jesus takes it personally, so much so that in Matthew 25, he said, whatever you did or did not do, mm. for one of the least of these, you did or did not do to me. That's how personally, when, right. when Paul was confronted, Paul had been persecuting Christians. Well, what did Jesus say? Why do you persecute me? Yeah. He takes it very personal. So, I mean, I think that, number one, we, we are we are not intentional with that. I think number two, we feel like we have to tell them quickly mm. because somehow it justifies some kind of false idea of morality in our minds. Yeah. And that's not fair to us. That's not fair to the person. It's not fair to anyone. Right. Um, but there's a third reason. I don't know if this is true or not. And I'm, you know, who knows? Two years from now, I might retcon it. Um, <laughs> but I think maybe... The reason why we outrage so much online, the reason why we really want to push people away that have made choices that maybe we don't agree with or make us feel uncomfortable. What if we're really not as frustrated with them as we are frustrated with God? Mm. What if some of our frustration is really frustration with God that God has not allowed the world to be the way that we think it should? Mm. And we are afraid to face that because we have this superstitious belief about God. If we face that, you know, then we're not being, we're not being true to God. And so what if we take out our frustration on people that are not like us? Because in our minds, subconsciously, it's much easier to take out our frustration and to be harsh with people are nothing like us yeah. and who represent the world that God is not allowing us to have. Does that make sense? Yeah, it makes perfect sense. And so I've wow. been, and I could be wrong on that, but I've been wondering that lately. I've been really thinking through that. No, I think that's, uh, I, I believe, my opinion is that's pretty dead on. I mean, I think, I mean, I think a rubric that, you know, I've asked people before is like, how many people, how many friends do you have? If you're a believer, how many friends do you have that are A, unbelievers? Uh, B, don't look or believe anything like you. I mean, how many people do you actually, are you actually in community with, love and care about, interact with on a daily basis, invest in their lives that don't have the same exact value system as you? And and that question confronts me. Oh, it does. And you know Big what? Time. Uh, for me, um, so eventually my parents let me back in and I went to Bible college in Southern Missouri got out of Southern Missouri, Missouri as quickly as possible. Um, you don't want to stay down there, Dave. <laughs> no. Just trust me. It's a different world. Yeah. Missouri world. or mi Missouri, right? Both. Uh -huh. Yes, exactly. <laughs> so I moved out to Los Angeles, got married to my wife, Amy. Um, but also during that time, um, my mother's partner uh, got a cancer diagnosis, and she chose not to receive treatment. Mm. And by the time we got to February 2005... She ended up getting really, really sick, and she wasn't going to last very long. So I flew out 
to share the gospel with her one last time and say goodbye. And it just so happened that it was going to be the very last week that she was alive. Mm. Had no clue about that then. Yeah. And so when I was flying out there, I made a deal with God. And I know you're not supposed to, but I think he gave me a pass. <laughs> and I said, I'm not going to open up uh, to her about the gospel on my own. I'm not going to try to manufacture a moment, try to make something happen. I need you to make that happen. Um, and I just prayed. And so I was there like five days, four nights, something like that. And on the very last night, I'm sitting there in our dining room. They had turned it into makeshift hospice room and she was in there in and out of sleep and God hadn't opened up a door yet and I'm frustrated with him and I'm mm. arguing in my head with him just in my own mind thinking I don't understand why you aren't doing this I, it's not requiring that much of you God just do something help me out here yeah. I've, I've been faithful I've kept my word it was in that moment that she not too long after she opened up her eyes and she looked at me and she said, Caleb, what do you think is on the other side? Mm. And I said, Vera, Jesus is. And if you trust him now, that same grace that saves you in this life will carry you into the next life. Um, she looked at me and she said, you want to know what I think about Christians like you? And I said, sure. I think you're weak. And I think you use Jesus as a crutch. Mm. And that's when I said, well, he's not my crutch. He's my wheelbarrow. <laughs> You know, and and, and yeah. by the way, he's driving the car. I'm not even in the back seat. I'm in the trunk, bound with duct tape, gagged with chloroform, because I can't live my life on my right. own. I am weak. Yeah. You know, I, I need the power of God to help. And she said, no, unless a miracle happens, she went to go face the Father on her own. Um, and that crushed me. Vera and I didn't get along very well. I loved her, but... She's a very angry person. Mm. She's very angry at men. And I get it. If I was her and what happened to her happened to me, I would probably hate men too. Yeah. But my mom, she took it very hard. She started drinking. And when you think about it, they were together 22 years. I mean, that's, yeah. that's tough. Yeah. Um, eventually, my family and I, my wife and kids and I, we moved to Dallas, Texas, a.k.a. Purgatory, for... <laughs> Like, I don't know, something You go like. from misery to paradise to purgatory. To purgatory, <laughs> yeah. Well, now California, we don't yeah. have any money or water, so, <laughs> you know, it's kind of purgatory too. But went over there, was preaching at a church, separately of one another. My parents wanted to be close to our family, so they moved to Dallas. They started attending the church that I was preaching at, even though they knew what I believed in. Wow. And I'm like, you know what I believe, and you still want to do that? They're like, yeah. And I said, come on over. And two or three weeks before we moved back to Southern California in the summer of 2013, my mom and dad, separately of one another, gave their lives to Jesus. Wow. And I asked them, I said, what pushed you over the edge? And this is what they told me in so many words. They said, people treated us like people, not like projects. Wow. When you think about it, I mean, my son did really a science project, and he did a good job with it. It was just a stupid assignment. Um, <laughs> he had to make salt water, ocean water, into clean drinking water using a couple of bottles of water and sunlight. <laughs> I'm like, just think in my head, this is the stupidest thing. Yeah, like, like he's going to be in a Tom Hanks situation, <laughs> you know, cast away. Like, no. Yeah. Anyway, so um, when we think about science projects that we had in high school or so on, what do we eventually do with them? We throw them away. Yeah. You work on it, and then you throw wow. it away. Yeah. That's what we do with people sometimes. Mm. 
we tried our new evangelistic moves on them, mm. um, and it doesn't get you very far. So when people treated them like actual human beings that you would have a relationship with, it changed their view of Jesus. Just like when I was in that Bible study in high school, people treated me well. Right. I was like, maybe Jesus is not represented by the people I thought he was. Wow. Maybe he's different. That makes all the difference in the world. Wow. Man. Incredible. Um, so, you know, now this is kind of a message that you're, you're carrying a lot. You wrote a book called Messy Grace. Um, you had another book before that. Well, no, uh, since then, God of Tomorrow. Working oh, on since my, then, that's right. So working that on my third so one Messy right Grace now. was first. God of Tomorrow is the second one. You're working on your third one right now. And, um, and this message you're carrying is, is trying to help the church understand the tension, not balance, tension, the tension of grace and between truth. grace and truth. Yeah. And um, it's, it's an incredible one. It's a great conversation. What would you, I mean, if you're, if you were, if you were sitting in front or you're standing in front of a congregation, as you do many times over and over and over, you have the opportunity to tell people, you know, one more thing uh, on this topic, what, what would you say? I would say two things. Um, but I only asked for one. I know you did. <laughs> say the two. I'll you say, can the say two. three or four if I'll you say want the to. Two. No, 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 no. <laughs> There's been oh. so much gold coming out of your mouth right now. I mean, this is awesome. <laughs> so cool. great. So yeah. great. No, I um, I would say two things. Number one, if you want, and, and I'll say this in general with people who want to be in that tension of grace and truth, mm-hmm. and then I want to say something to people who actually want to engage more people mm. in grace and truth. Yeah. And just really go further with that engagement. So the first thing I'll say is this, that we need to think deeper about people, not differently about theology. Wow. Wow. That everybody we meet is a conglomeration of their hopes and their dreams and their failures and their hurts and their pains and their achievements and their upbringing and their opinions and experiences yeah. and education or lack thereof in the places they've lived. Yeah. And nobody is shallow. Um, everybody has depth. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, Jordan Peterson does a great job explaining this in his new book, 12 Rules. Mm-hmm. And yeah. he just does a great job explaining how complicated we are psychologically and biologically. He's like, you don't understand yourself as well as what you think. Yeah. You, you are more complicated than what you know. And I agree. But you know what? That's why we need other people to speak into our lives. Yeah. That's why we need the Bible. That's why we need the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. So we have to learn how to think deeper. And then here's what I would tell people who really want to engage more in grace and truth. Make sure you want to do that because it is difficult mm. and painful to be a bridge. Because when you're wow. a bridge, you get walked on yeah. by both sides. So the great thing about bridges um, you help stop the false dichotomies. Mm. And you can be a representative in both worlds to a certain degree. But bridges get walked over all the time yeah. and driven over, and they're not always taken care of. Um, we have to be a bridge. Yeah, Jesus was a bridge to us. As a matter of fact, uh, in the beginning, John 1.1, 1, 1, the word logos mm-hmm. in the original uh, word is the Greek word logos. In the original Greek, that word logos can be translated bridge. And wow. even before Jesus came, that word was used by some philosophers to describe the connection that humanity had with the gods in the heavens. Wow. 
So John uses that to talk about what Jesus was for us. And I think that's what we have to be for other people. But you will get walked on by wow. both sides. Okay, so I was going to end right there, but you just brought up another great uh, thought or at least a question that I have. Surely you have experienced a lot of criticism because of this message that you're carrying. Absolutely. Sure. How do you handle that criticism? What's your approach? What is Caleb Kaltenbach's approach to how I'm going to respond to criticism or handle it? I don't. That was my response. Tell me more. Tell yeah, me more. I don't. I don't. I, I, get, I get chewed out by ultra-fundamentalists yeah. and progressive individuals and a lot of people that just think that they know what's going on, but they don't. Mm. And back in November 2013, I really learned, because the message had not really gone viral yet, I hadn't written uh, Messy Grace yet, but uh, I had a weird incident. I took a picture that went viral. I was in Costco and buying a picture, buying a present for my wife, and they had labeled a Bible fiction, and I took a picture of that. Fox News got a hold of it. It went viral. I mean, like, it was all over. Like, but Costco labels the Bible fiction. I was on Fox and Friends. They were like, are you upset about, you know, the, the Bible being labeled fiction? I'm like, no, I thought it was funny. <laughs> look at my social media. I did post things. I'm sorry. I thought it was funny. I got two death threats over that. I got people... Oh. Like criticizing, like saying, well, the Bible says this about unicorns. I'm like, hey, we don't have unicorns in there. We just have like a seven-headed dragon. Leave <laughs> us alone. Um, you know, so I learned real quick there, I can't read everything that people write. Right. It's not wrong to block people. Mm -hmm. um, people do things online that they never would. People say things that they never say right. to somebody's face. Right. And they think somehow getting behind a computer screen or your phone right here, that that's like wearing a mask. It's a license to do whatever you want. Yeah. And it's not. And God still knows. And so I learned a long time ago that I don't have to respond. Jesus was asked over 300 questions in the gospel. He only answered four or five of them. Hmm. Wow. And usually, you know, he asked them a question back. He yeah, didn't even say, answer it. around to another question. But yeah. think about it. He was asked over 300 questions. He only answered four or five. Wow. What, do we have to respond to everything? Wow. So I just choose not to. Man, that's so good. That's so good. I Caleb. don't read my reviews on Amazon. <laughs> I, don't, I don't do anything. There are some people that I really trust speaking in my life. They yeah. say something, I'll listen. But other than that, I, I don't because yeah. I will drive myself crazy and I will mm. start caring too much about what people think. Um, Man, I, I, well, I really appreciate the message that you're carrying. Honestly, the church needs it. Um, it, it needs it from someone. You are God's man built for this message because well, it thanks, needs man. it from someone who has that perspective on both sides of the equation and can be a bridge. And I, that's what I see. When I see you, I see that bridge. And I, I think that word is so good that you're going to get walked all over. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, what, what, isn't that what Jesus did? He allowed himself, right? He spread out his arms and he allowed himself to get quote unquote, quote unquote, walked all over so that there could be a bridge between the father and humanity. And so, man, I appreciate you being a, a living and, and breathing here in the flesh version of Jesus. Well, I appreciate, I appreciate that. that. And I think you're doing the same thing through nothing is wasted. Um, you are being a bridge by helping mm -hmm. people realize that um, God really does take what was meant for evil yeah. and use it for the good. That's right. Um, that 
this is deep, but even our our worst pain can be used as a bridge. That's right. To glorify God. Yep. That's it. Man, thank you so much for your time. It's an honor to have you here. Thank you Great guys for, for listening to the Nothing Is Wasted podcast. Wow, that was awesome. That was really good. It's powerful. Uh, Caleb was just, man, he just oozed with a lot of wisdom and grace. And I don't know if there's anybody else that would be able to speak on that topic in the way that he did. And that's Mm -hmm. a difficult topic. I mean, I have to be honest with you. I was feeling kind of uncomfortable. And I think that's the space that we often feel when we are around around people who may believe differently than us or are different than us or, and, and we get to this place where we feel uncomfortable and awkward. And so we don't really know what to do about that. And so oftentimes it just turns into like, like ostracizing or marginalizing or pushing away when in fact, Jesus, he, he commissions us to do the very opposite mm-hmm. to, to embrace those that we maybe don't even agree with or embrace those that might be different than us or that we don't understand uh, in order to better understand, you know? Yeah, yeah I, just, exactly. I, just, I just think that what we see in the person of Jesus is that he was so close to the people who were most unlike him. Mm. You know, he was constantly yeah. in close proximity to the people that that were so different from him. And yet that's why he was able to influence and have a platform in those people's lives is that they knew that that, that he loved them and cared for them no matter what no matter what their mm-hmm. behavior was, no matter what their beliefs were, that he wa- he loved them and he was for them. And so, um, man, thank you, Caleb, for just reminding us as a church, uh, the Big C Church, what that looks like in, in any community, whether it's the LGBTQ community or whether it's the topic of racism or whether it's the topic of whatever it is, doesn't matter. Anybody that we encounter that maybe we don't agree with, it's still not just okay, but it is the right thing to continue to love and show compassion and care for, for folks that, that maybe are different than us. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I'm really looking forward to reading Caleb's book, Messy Grace. Um, so if you haven't read that yet, you might want to check it out. Yep. We want to thank Sleeping at Last for providing all the music for the Nothing Is Wasted podcast. You can download his music anywhere. Music can be downloaded and streamed. And before we log off on this episode, listen to a clip for the next episode. When people ask us, you know, like what was sort of the the thing that that connected you. I said, you know, we both we both experienced something where it was just like it was just you, and then whatever God was going to do. Yeah. And um, so, very few people have been at that um, mm-hmm. at that moment with God. And if you haven't, um, then it's really hard to connect with another person. That's um, uh, or can be difficult to yeah. really connect. And I know Jana said she got off the phone. I think we both got off the phone after the first call. And very first time, I called my family and said, "I'm going to marry this guy." Wow. And, you know, it was less than a year after my husband had died and everybody was like, oh my, hold on now. You don't know yeah, what you're doing. Yeah. You know, you, you're you moving too fast. You've got the widow fog brain mm-hmm. and, you know, you just need to hold back. And I was like, listen, you know, like I know what God's voice sounds like. I know what it sounded like when, you know, I was walking that mm-hmm. cancer road with John. I know what God's voice sounded like 
when he spoke to me about my heart for ministry. I know what God's mm. voice sounded like when it was time to like let him go and and to move forward in my in my life and, and lay my husband to rest. And this is that same voice. Yeah. Like, why am I not gonna trust it now?